Hello and welcome to the Forward Unto Dawn podcast. This is podcast episode 9 and uh, for us this is a rather special podcast uh, because we're going to be talking about Forward Unto Dawn. No, we're not talking about ourselves. We're actually going to be talking about the web series being produced by 343 Industries, which has now been fully completed and we've got plenty to discuss. So I'm Isaac. I go by Postmortem Online and here with me are Dave and Danny. And I guess we'll just dive right in. So overall, what did you guys think of the entire experience that was Halo 4 Forward Unto Dawn? I thought I exceeded the, to be honest, low expectations I had for the series. I wasn't expecting much from the premise, budget, and the fact it was going to be on uh, on the internet. I, I, I was hoping we might get something along the lines of the quality of the TV spots from previous Halo games for, for advertisements. And I have to say that I was pleasantly disappointed that my uh, my expectations were were not fulfilled in this occasion. Yeah, I guess I was really hopeful, and for the most part, it was a lot better than I think previous. We'd had a lot of pretty good to excellent short-form commercials, but it's easy to do a 60 to 90 second spot. It's really hard to do a what comes out to be basically feature-length serial. So in that respect, I thought it was a lot better. To me, it's sort of under-delivered on its initial promise, but I still think it was... I guess it's one of those things where would you have been happier if we hadn't had it or not? And I definitely think that it's a worthy addition to the Halo Yeah, lore. definitely. I thought, while it had a lot of flaws and there's a lot of areas that could have definitely used improvement overall, like, I was just so happy. when I By the time I finished that fifth episode, I was, I was having so much nostalgia to, you know, playing Halo 2 and thinking, wow, this would be so great if they made a movie about it. And and things happened in this series that just were not not literally, but along the same lines of the stuff that I was picturing in my head for the Halo movie. And it's just so cool to see that stuff brought to life. To me, Forward Unto Dawn is not only the Halo movie or, or a step towards doing the Halo movie complete justice. It's kind of like the books. As I'm watching Forward Unto Dawn, I kept thinking this is so much like The Fall of Reach. I really feel like this is... The Fall of Reach just brought to life. Except it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's but completely well, it's different. How, how do you, how do you, how do you I mean? I mean, it's... I felt like the interactions between Master Chief and the cadets, and then the other Spartans in his squad, uh, the way the Spartan was portrayed, uh, everything about the Covenant, and, and just the entire reality of this scenario, everything felt... It, it felt not like, not like the Fall of Reach brought to life in terms of story, and all that but but like it was the exact same universe there's always been this kind of disconnect between the books and the games and as far as it exists within my head there is no disconnect between the books and forward into dawn hmm. that's an interesting way of looking and at in it. addition to all that there's also uh one more thing that i was really impressed by and that was actually the soundtrack um i i'm sure not as many people well, I, I probably shouldn't say that, but I know a lot of other people don't pay as much attention to music as I do, but within the Halo community, that's there's probably a big difference there. But either way, I love the fact that they actually were using a lot of the themes uh, from the Halo 4 soundtrack, specifically the song Arrival, um, and they had just 
played it on different instruments and at different tempos um and and it fit into so many of the different scenes and it was so subtle but if you actually pay attention to it you can hear that it's there and then there were some other moments where the it was almost like lord of the rings type music it was so uh i don't know how to describe it but it just it set this tone that was so perfect for halo so a lot of other people have really um dived into the story and uh, the characters and and all that and, and if you look around the internet you can find a lot of podcasts discussing the specific details of the story and some of us were on some of those and there's articles out there a lot of great summaries so what we want to do is we really don't want to dive too much into the story aspects of each episode um, because it's been talked about enough and everyone has their own opinions and in the end it really is just opinions what we really want to dive into is the specific details of things that caught our attention things that kind of brought the halo universe to life in different ways that we feel is worth highlighting one of the first things that was really discussed and brought to the attention of the people watching the show um, was the set design and, and the, um, the set extension, more specifically, for Corbulo Academy. Um, the way they brought the whole academy to life, like, from an actual set up in Canada uh, to become this un previously unknown planet existing somewhere in the Halo universe, I thought they did such a phenomenal job with that. Yeah, they definitely, I mean... The only downside there is you've kind of seen that brutalist college standing in for every single science fiction future ever, but I guess it's those are the people who are obliging and it's sort of nondescript enough and it's futuristicness that they can use it for pretty much everything. I did like the, the touches, like the Corbulo with the assault rifle and that it actually had its own little cameo in the plot and things like that there. And those were some really nice flybys. Yeah, the the helicam shots with uh, the sun rising over the uh, the orbital tether, that was... Those shots gave me chills, I'm not going to lie. Like, I thought they were really well done. Nerd chills. I thought they were a bit uh, oversaturated, trying to hide the CGI. I thought it was a bit, uh, a bit corny, unnecessary. Yeah, but given the budget and uh, and the fact that they're not going to have the best CGI, like it's, I think it's a reasonable excuse to hide that while also, you know, making it look pretty. Yeah, but how much? How much? How much are you going to say? Well, it's it is cheap, and they're trying to hide stuff. Are you going to let them get away with really? You let them get away with it once. You let them get away with it for all the other things that aren't too pretty about it. I think in the end what it comes down to is I want to watch this and I want to get immersed into the Halo universe. And so yes, I'm going to notice a lot of things that really bother me and pull me out a little bit, but I'm not going to let them keep me out. I'm going to dive right back in and, and stay in there. So for me, when I was watching it, yeah, I got the immersion was broken more than once and, and I just got right back in there and enjoyed it just as much as if I hadn't. So, I mean, I think... A general thing with most of Four Done to Dawn is I never felt there were places where the effects, the effects physically compromise the story. I mean, there are definitely places where, all right, well, this is obviously where they're cutting. I mean, especially when it came to the Covenant, you obviously knew why they were showing not a lot of them here and there and quick shots and why they looked the way they did. But there were never any places where I think 
partly because it was smart screenwriting and then partly because they they put the money into the scenes that they really needed to there were never any parts where that fell apart because of any sort of crisis with the graphics and i think that was the i mean sure everything can be nicer but as long as it's not interfering with the story is the most important part and they were smart and they made sure that didn't happen i don't know i think the because of the limits of the budget it took away a lot of that halo feeling for me like you have your covenant have your invasion you have your epic battle but you're not seeing any of it that's not something that's when it comes to Halo, you, you see all the action, you're in the thick of it. It's going on all around you. You're there to make a difference. That's something you'll find in the books. You, you know, you're always in the thick of it. And that's something that Ford on the Dawn doesn't really deliver. And I think it's a I think it's a point where we, we should criticize it because you know, name one other piece of Halo a media apart from adverts where they're, they're they just can't afford to show it where they don't show it, you know? It's uh, it's a vital thing to see that stuff, and you see moments of it. You do. I like. I, I like the the super combine on one of the characters where the the blood squirts up. You didn't have to see the exploding body to to, to get the full effect of there. But for the rest of the things, like the seeing all the the, the units as they're driving past in the warthog, you see little silhouettes. Whatnot, that, that just scream cheap. Like on the um, on the other episode, we're on the rooftops. And you see this really terrible CGI creatures that sort of pop their heads up and then get killed instantly. It was like it's, it looked like some really bad cheesy TV advert. It it it, it took me out of the of the situation because it was that bad. I don't know how many TV movies you've watched, Danny, but I've seen plenty of really bad CG, and this was this was really really good for what it was. I, I well, look at the exact look at the exact scene. It's the scene with um, the chief running it. The really terrible scene with the chief running in terrible slow motion, with the pistol firing at the at the covenant. That's the bad scene. Well, I will, I will, I guess since you brought it up, I will say that the slow mo is excessive, and that is what, to me, I'm perfectly willing to. I guess because I've got a production background and I know graphics are are hard to do and etc but to me what takes me out is the editing and in that sense the slow-mo there was a couple of sequences where i thought it worked and then the most it was sort of redundant and in terms of where you can hide the sins of of tell of basically sort of made for television slash web series budget is by not showing things in slow motion <laughs> yeah and the thing about slow motion is you have to use it effectively like you don't you can't just throw it in every time you want to make something look cooler because it'll pull away from the emotional involvement in the plot like yeah because it becomes an editing trick as opposed to oh look at me now this is cool as yeah, opposed to yeah. i'm slowing i think the places the where it worked of... were when there was really fast-paced action going on and you needed to get a slowed down look at the expression on a character's face to see the sort of thoughts that were going through their head and the the change in character, the progression that they made in that sense, uh, but when you when you slow it down every single time a grenade goes off or a fuel rod gun hits a bunch of trees, yeah, it loses the impact. Sometimes you need to see those explosions too fast to really comprehend to really get a feeling of how powerful they are. And I think it's also an issue. It doesn't even matter how great, like even if you put the money into making it look really cool, 
it's going to, for me, I, it's one of those things where I sort of, aside from the fact that it takes me out of it, I sort of enjoy catching those things on my own as a viewer, as opposed to getting it fed to me. Yeah. And I, I think it also works if you're, if you've got Spartans involved as well, because, because there's that whole part of the fiction where the Spartans experience time specifically in combat, very slowed down. Um, and when you show a Spartan moving in slow motion, I think it, it, it's kind of expressive to the fans, at least, of, of how they're experiencing the combat versus how the, the regular unaugmented humans are experiencing the combat. So if you showed the slow motion parts for some of Chief's appearances, but then never for the parts with Lasky, um, that would have fit too, I thought. Yeah, well, and you bring up another point. Is it's a matter of what you do. You have to sort of make it feel purposeful. If there isn't that continuity and when you use a certain technique, it feels haphazard. But I can ultimately, when it comes down to it, it wasn't the woods fight scene of the last Sherlock Holmes movie. So I guess that's the standard I'm holding it against. Although that's still, to me, the best part of that whole movie. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. I just love seeing the bullets, you know, tear through their clothing. It really gives a sense of how powerful firearms are and how destructive. But regard, oh, actually, that does kind of tie in because I like one of the slow motion sequences I did like was when they slowed down the plasma and needle rounds, and you could see them fracturing and shattering on the concrete and whatnot. I just thought that was very effective at showing how terrifying these rounds really are. Yeah, and I I did like that. There were obviously some visual inconsistencies. But I like that it was the classic Needler sounds as opposed to the Halo 4 Needler sounds. It just made it feel, it's that little touch alone made it feel a little more like this was taking place in the past from a, a game standpoint. Yeah, for sure. Even though the, the Covenant were all the Storm Covenant. Yeah. But which is another thing that I understand that you don't have the money to go back and recreate really high-res assets of all the old Covenant. So, well, we've got these Halo 4 models. We can spruce those up. Okay. So that's one of the things I understand, as well as the fact that the other Spartans are wearing modified um, Cat and Tom armor from the Deliver Hope reach spot with, I think someone at the 405th pointed out, there's a, a knee plate on the air assault helmet. Once you see it, it's really obvious. But... I mean, that's that's kind of the whole kit bashing thing is kind of done a lot. So that creates a whole canonical issue, but I understand why they did it. I wouldn't say it's an issue, but it does. It just overcomplicates it unnecessarily. Well, what? You mean them having Mark V armor and 25, 26? Well, if you don't, there's the whole comment that it's not the hardware that counts, it's the software. So technically that could be Mark IV. And then we have the Mark IV on the cover of the Cole Protocol that looks like the Mark VI. And then there's the Mark VI skunk work. And, you know, there's they could come up with some, quite frankly, bullshit excuse and it would work and we would accept it. It's, it's not... Having it in there doesn't make it disturb the canon. It just adds so much unnecessary complication to it. That's, that's it. Yeah, but, I mean, it's just one of those things where okay they they could spend the money to make his suit which i still think going with the package mark IV armor was a mistake in that respect but i mean i'm gonna give him the fact that yeah 
they don't have a million dollars to spend just on creating custom suits that will be seen for all of five minutes in the it just doesn't make sense to spend the money on that. Yeah, and and it also for the covenant, it it helps for those viewers who haven't really gone into the expanded universe that much to have more sense of consistency with Halo Four, and obviously that would be part of the consideration that went into it as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So going back to the story a little bit, but but not diving, uh, you know, too heavily into that. Uh, one of the things that I really liked about the various episodes was that they had these vids from Lasky's brother, the ODST, um, that he recorded on his various tours of duty. And uh, to me, those videos were absolutely essential, not to convey the backstory of Lasky and the whole family situation he's got, but rather to show, not directly show the expanded, not expanded universe, but the rest of the universe. But, but just to show that it's out there and that there's stuff going on and that there's this wider experience that's happening around this small story that we're being told Mm -hmm. and i think just narratively it was something that added interest that you didn't necessarily know what its relevance was etc i didn't realize at the beginning i didn't think that they were going to go with the fact that his brother was dead and it worked well as like you said i mean it's a good character moment it's a good viewer moment because you gradually learn this as opposed to having it told to you. And then it's a good moment just as far as, yeah, they're fighting humans. That's something that the Halo games have always shied away from. And so it's interesting to see it expressed even in this really indirect way. Like the, his brother says, yeah, well, we killed a bunch of guys, which I guess we should be happy about. And yeah, he's obviously I, I not. thought that line was was great. Like it, we've read about the insurrection and and the fighting humans in the books a lot, but to me, there's there's just something really special about seeing it come to life in in either the games or the you know, live action. And so hearing that line and the way it was delivered, like that spoke to me so much about almost the message of of the Halo universe. Is you know, the Halo universe has a message. All right, fine. Shoot me down. Whatever. No, not not saying it in a in a bad way or whatever. I've just never actually really thought about the Halo universe as having an overarching theme. Well, there's like a lot in the of way them. of um, well, but in the way of in the way of like Star Trek or whatever, you can say ultimately it distills down to it's a future where we've solved our own problem and and now we take to the stars exploring and solving other people's. But in that sense, I don't think Halo really. It's not a dystopian future necessarily. It's not obviously not an idealized one. It's just sort of steady state fighting aliens. Yeah. But I think there's this there's this transition between the mentality of we're fighting humans and there's something that's very off and wrong about this. And and the whole the whole idea that the Spartans were created to stop humanity from more or less making itself go extinct with never ending civil war. There's there's a big message there. It was a never-ending civil war. That's escalating that's, civil war. I, I understand. I'm yeah. Proje- I'm paraphrasing a bit, but they, they were worried that we were going to just nuke ourselves to death, like total instant annihilation within a matter of months. Yeah, but I think I think that the whole transition is like, yes, we we ended up having to fight another threat that's much worse, but at the same time, we've learned to kind of accept our differences and work together. Although. You know, Karen what? Travis is 
The hell no. Hell no, that's not the Halo universe at all. We just paused for a moment. We stopped killing ourselves for a wee while. The message to me is the futility of war. And the never-ending No, I don't get that. No, I wouldn't... I think if I was going to get something from Halo, it would be sort of the the expressed mindset of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few is trumped by singular acts in that i mean i guess it depends what form you want to take but the spartan program is a big needs of the many thing for a needs of the many approach to fighting a war etc all this stuff all these horrors committed for the name of making things better in the long run but ultimately what saves everybody is the master chief and cortana and some help from the arbiter it's these really small individuals in comparison who make all the difference basically in averting galactic crises a couple of times so i guess i guess what you really can say is that just the halo universe has a lot of different messages based on who's viewing it Okay, well, on so on that note, what do you think is the 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 expression from forward onto dawn? Because it actually somewhat surprised me, not in a bad way. Ultimately, I think they they wrapped up Lasky nicely, but it surprised me in that I thought it was going to be much more about how he became who he is in Halo Four, and actually, it's really. It's basically just a cut and dry story of survival and him deciding to to fight as opposed to just quitting while he could. I mean, not that he has much of a choice when aliens show up and start killing everyone, but aside from the end, which I think was really well done at showing sort of how he's changed even within the space of basically two minutes, but it really wasn't as much his own personal journey as I expected it would be. I thought there was a lot of personal journey there for him. I thought there was a, there's a lot of emotional growth for the character. A lot of literal developments for the character. Well, I guess, I guess ultimately the, the, the thing that I thought was, or it wasn't, it didn't have to be there, but the thing I thought was going to be touched on more was what makes Lasky the leader that everyone follows. Well, that, that was in there. Plenty of times, and I thought that that was a big part of his character's arc. In what sense? In the sense that he had to learn to accept leadership even if he wasn't happy with the consequences or the, the scenario. And then, uh, you know, he, he takes a little bit of leadership in the capture the flag game. And then, again, when uh, Chief is facing the hunter. Okay, I can sort of see that. I think that's that's one of the points of the, the slow motion in that sequence is you, you see that realization kind of dawn on his face that yes i've i accepted the leadership responsibility for our our practice scenario and it worked whatever kyler was happy with me whatnot but the that part was him realizing this actually has some sort of application and i i thought also his uh his general story of um first of all I, i watched this with one of my friends who's who's a halo fan but uh, not to the extent that we are, and, and he's a, a big critic of, of films and whatnot, so he had a lot of negative things to say about this, and that's that's great. I liked hearing him. Uh, and one of the things he pointed out was that, and, and I would have to agree with him, when you watch it all together, Lasky doesn't really have that much of an arc. 
he he basically goes from i don't want to be a soldier to okay maybe i can be a soldier and then he realizes okay i don't have to be a soldier and then the covenant comes oh okay i gotta be a soldier it's it's not really an interesting character arc but if you look at it from the sense of his story representing that of humanity as a whole it, it really is kind of symbolic in the sense that every single person had to go through what he went through in in a different way do you think they meant it to be applied that universally though i don't think it was you know i can't really say it might have been a byproduct but i think the fact is the general idea of war isn't good i don't approve of war and then suddenly war is being forced upon me i have to accept it whether i like it or not like that that to me is like that's what most people had to go through in the halo universe you know whether you're in the military or out of the military there's an alien race that's declared war on you and you have no choice i think one of the moments that obviously kind of represented this better than anything else was uh the exact moment that the covenant actually first show up um to me, this was probably the emotional high point, or it was the point at which I was most immersed in Forward Unto Dawn, was when they're evacuating to the tether, and as Dima goes up in the elevator, the, uh, the Corvettes come down and just tear it to shreds. And it's, it's not so much that happening, because we've seen that happen in two different games, um, we're familiar with that. But it's the fact that this comes in after you're, you're used to so much of this teen angst stuff, this kind of generic, repetitive stuff that we've all seen before. Oh, I, I like the girl. Oh, here's the kiss scene. But, but no, Forward Unto Dawn interrupts the kiss scene and brings, brings it right back to this instant sur like need for survival. The way the, the camera angle looks up at the tether as it's collapsing makes you feel like you're standing right underneath it. And the sound effects of the metal just like ripping and creaking as it falls that that was a powerful moment for me watching that and it's to me it's going to stand out as one of the most memorable moments in any halo thing and i know that's that's very strong to say but that's that's my opinion i was just very immersed in it at that time i almost felt like i was there yeah i, I definitely think that whole basically episode three was the best part of the entire the series to me in part because of that scene and you just compare that to the space elevator crashing in odst and they're obviously setting out to do two different things but it's still a dramatic difference in how much it grabs me and then of course it's it's much more brutal in um, forward unto dawn because not only is this elevator blowing up but there are people on it at that time and you know there may have been at new mombasa but the fact is you weren't standing right underneath it and you did not hear the bodies raining down onto the roof above you yeah i think that's pretty much as dark as the hell universe has ever gotten the the closest i can think of obviously it wasn't the same because it's not a video but they had um in second sunrise on new mombasa they have things streaming from the sky people looking like, oh shooting stars and the guy knows that it's actually people and ships getting burned up in the atmosphere because of a fight up above uh, yeah i had forgotten about that one no but on on that note actually that's another thing that i think they did well was going with the realities of this stuff and going i would guess you could say dark but not going gritty i think that's an important distinction and that 
that proved forward unto dawn was successful in proving how you can you can do one without devolving into the other i think that it's easy to do grit superficially but what it adds is nothing really ultimately to what you're trying to do and i think that forward unto dawn was really successful in pushing a lot of that without going to that sort of cliched grit that sort of tired trope stuff yeah i'd agree so what did you guys think of the reveal of the covenant the the actual covenant i mean the elite that walks through and then the the um subsequent scene where he's stalking the cadets through the through the barracks raptors in the kitchen style I'm glad you mentioned that. I was about to bring that up. It all comes back to Jurassic Park in the end. I actually thought it was well done. I know it was cheaply done, but I thought it was very well done. I I liked it. I thought it was tense. I thought it was a little bit drawn out uh, in terms of time, which I didn't like. It it did feel as as if it was dragging on, particularly with how the majority of the episodes flow. It seemed kind of unnecessary to spend so much time, particularly running away from an, uh, from the uh, cloaked elite. But uh, I enjoyed it. I would I would agree with that. It did take a long time, but on the other hand, that is, in a way, meant to make us feel, you know, the horror of of people first kind of seeing these alien creatures for the first time. And and one of the things that I liked about that sequence was obviously this was done for budgetary reasons, and you know, there's a lot of other movies like alien and and some scenes in jurassic park again uh that stand as evidence of this but uh for budgetary reasons they couldn't always show the cg elite um and i think that worked in the episode's favor because it's it's pretty well known that what you can't see is more terrifying than what you can see and i think not showing the elite in full view trying to make him look scary and aggressive um, was much more effective. The 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 shot where Lasky is leaning around the corner, and and you can just see the terror on his face. And then as he's sitting there trying to be completely quiet, you see the fog just move behind him from the elite's breath. You don't see the elite, but you just see him breathing. That was that was very well done. I love that. Yeah, and I I do think they did a nice job of not hiding it in the usual ways like in in that way you could have been really cheap about it and just sort of had the bump in the noise the quick camera moves to sort of suggest stuff and i think i'd like that they went a little more sophisticated in it's i mean it's it's hard to top the sort of rumbling uh ripples in the water but i really liked some of the stuff they did and i also thought you really got a sense of the elites just from that one scene like it would have been very easy for the elite to go through and just instantly slice up every single person he found, but he didn't. He was he was taking his time. He found like a group of of young humans huddled in a corner with no weapons, and you could just hear it in his voice when he was talking. Like the, he he did this laugh. It was just like I'm in complete control of this situation. I have power. These are you know young humans. There's no threat to me. The, the 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 mentality of the elites and some of the covenant kind of came across there i thought effectively and then of course master chief shows up and slices him in the back 
I was glad that 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 part of the introduction of the chief was not as as tacky as the uh, initial trailer suggested. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cause the, I think just moving the lines around helps a lot. The line that he said in that part in the trailer was... Yeah, kind of weird. I guess the the fictional question that sort of bothered me throughout this entire thing was why the Covenant didn't just glass them to heck. Why there was a land battle at all. I mean, obviously, I get the reasons plot-wise, but considering that from all we can tell about, there's nothing on that planet except Corbulo, I'm not sure why they did that. Well, isn't it what uh, what Halsey said? Um, most Forerunner scouting or Relic scouting teams are usually Zealot class, and that was the Halo 4 Zealot class. Not to mention they were operating out of, operating out of three Corvettes rather than a larger ship. I don't know. It just seems... It's one of those things where... I get why it was done. It just didn't. I mean, the whole, it's one, I mean, the whole sense of Corbulo being out in the middle of nowhere anyhow seems kind of odd, and I understand why they did it. It's just that, that whole segment of it, when the more I think about it, the more it seems off that you would have this prestigious academy in the middle of kind of hostile territory, and there's nothing else there. Yeah, like you said, it makes sense why they did it. Um, but I think more importantly, regardless of whether it really makes sense or not on the on a surface level, there's room for some sort of fictional explanation. And, and I always like that room is allowed for that kind of stuff. Like you could very easily come out with another short story explaining how that Covenant team were looking for certain Forerunner relics and then they just happened to stumble upon the Academy. Yeah, I'm, I mean, in that respect, I'm glad they... they... I would have liked an explanation, but in whether it's in the cases of probably the explanation wouldn't have been a great one, I guess it's better to have the room to wiggle and invite fan speculation to. In in some ways, it's it, it almost is telling that they acknowledge the fact that there needed to be that explanation by using a zealot and using the the Corvettes, which are the only ones we saw in Reach when the Covenant were searching for Forerunner Relics. Well, that was the other thing that, I mean, it leads to more speculation about why they were there, but it also sort of feels like misdirection that never goes anywhere is all that the Covenant glitching stuff in that little probe, or whatever it is, drop pod. It doesn't lead anywhere. Oh, you know what I want to know? Speaking of drop pods, where are the ODSTs coming from? Yeah, that was the other thing. Is there some they... ship in orbit? Is there a fleet nearby? Are they engaged with the Covenant currently? I mean, what, what's going on? Yeah, and that they, they dropped down, basically, right before. Seems odd. Maybe maybe they knew that they were losing in uh, in space, and so they sent down whatever reinforcements they could to help secure the ground site, which, or, you know, something like that. It'd be cool to get some more story. Yeah, and I mean, that's not really a, a, a fair criticism to level at them because A, their scope and then their budget. But yeah, it's kind of one of those things where I guess you could say the same thing about the Thursday War. It's you're giving a really small slice of stuff when 
historically we've been treated to much grander parts and it's it's interesting but also kind of infuriating at the same time if you're a fan yeah i, like, I want to know what everything that's going on i'd be happy with more data drops honestly that's that requires very little effort and it still contributes a lot to the fiction so i guess the next most important question is what did you guys think of daniel cudmore's physical performance as the chief and and also uh, i don't think we have the name of the voice actor but how do you think those two work together I think overall he did a fairly good job. There are some things about it that it's hard to say exactly what makes it feel like it's a costume. I think it it's partially almost that he moved around so much that I'm not sure how you exactly get a regular person to move like everything's entirely precise and they're a giant hulking guy who can move at like twice their speed. Yeah, I thought he did a really good job. I mean, all things considered... Um, it could have been taken in a much worse direction with the actual live actor portraying a Spartan inside a suit. Because the whole thing is you can't have a real person really act out the movements of a Spartan as they're described in the books. It's more or less physically impossible. And I thought Daniel Cudmore like, had probably the closest approximation as anyone could do without making a full CG you know, hand-animated yeah. Spartan. It It felt like an individual that was trained completely for combat and had no room for any sort of social um, abilities, skills, and then was just clad in... The sound effects for the, the armor was, was really cool as well. A bit overdone, but I think it's effective for making people get it. You know, Spartans are supposed to be really quiet and, and capable of walking silently in the armor, um, and he's, you know, thumping around unnecessarily but at the same time it gets the point across and then during later parts he does just disappear without them even noticing so it shows that he's capable of both he's capable of being stealthy when he puts the effort into it mm-hmm. and then he he breaks out the the three-shot pistol <laughs> i thought that was kind of cool too though because it shows you know the cadets are having such a hard time hitting these three jackals which honestly it's a more realistic approach to, to firefights. Until she picks up a carbine. She only shoots one of them. And just lays waste to a jackal well. on her first shot. And advanced alien technology. Okay, fine. There's no real excuse for that. But I still thought it was cool that cadets were having such a hard time. And then pretty much Chief shows up and just wipes the floor with them. Well, you'd get some... NeoGAF people saying that's because they were using assault rifles, like BKs. All right, but fictionally speaking, all of those weapons would not function the exact same way yeah. that they do in in the game. Yeah, I, I know, I know. So I think I, I think know, it just I spoke think. to the Spartans' training and their abilities in combat that the cadets were having such a hard time, and then Chief shows up and just headshots them all with a pistol. Well, I mean, he was essentially has no recoil functionally that he has to worry about. So yeah. <laughs> he can afford to be an awesome shot and then there was this this part kind of bothered me having the this was one of the bad slow motion parts was when he jumps off the roof but that said it was probably quite a feat for the actor um and and there was probably a significant amount invested in that so yeah you'd want to show it off but at the same time fictionally speaking if you've got a half ton suit of armor that is designed to allow them more or less to fall from orbit 
a 20 foot drop isn't gonna really count for that much which showed i love i love the way that he lands he lands like he didn't have to overcompensate for the drop too much but then it's just the flailing while he's in the air that bugged me a little bit yeah well you gotta show something while he's slow mowing flail visual interest were you gonna say something else no I was just reading the digital spy review of the fifth episode. This is the moment when Lasky decides to man up once and for all, volunteering himself as a decoy in a move that will give Master Chief enough time to get in close and stick a grenade with the sun and shine. Lasky's bravery is inspiring, and all it took was the destruction of the Academy, the death of his entire family, all of his friends, and his girlfriend. A hero indeed. <laughs> That's terrible. During the next sequence, after the... Uh... Dark Warthog drive through the forest. Um, they stop for a minute and they find out that Kyler's been hit and it's all emotional. But then I thought there was a comment that was kind of interesting, which is uh, when Orensky says that the jackals are retreating and then Chief responds, we're being hunted. Um, now, at first I was like, well, wait a minute, this is kind of strange because the Covenant, they're not like animals, they're not like stalking their prey. You know, there's just a military force. Um, but then I thought about the first reveal of the hunter in uh, in Fall of Reach and the way they led up to that with, uh, with Chief finding the jackal that had been crushed as if a giant uh, member of the Covenant had walked through and completely disregarded the fact that it stomped on this, this jackal. And, and the, the fact that they had the jackals retreating I thought was actually expanding on that relationship a little bit more intentionally. So that's a nice catch. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, and then the way that they treated the hunters from that point on, like um, again, what you can't see is is more terrifying than what you can. And and until the full on uh, fight scene between Chief and the hunter, it all that they had portraying the hunter other than this this silhouette that you see at first was this green glow from the fuel rod gun and i thought that was like it's it's a little cheap it's a little cheesy but it's also very effective emotionally speaking i was fully expecting them not to actually show the hunter just do that really cheesy silhouette made out of cardboard with green lights and lots of fog of course fog everywhere and uh, that was going to be it fog everywhere it's there's always fog in these cheap budgeted films. I've I've noticed overabundance of fog. No, no, but the uh, the atmosphere of that planet means that water condenses at a certain rate, so that it, yeah, I don't know. Never mind. It's British Columbia. It's like asking why all the alien planets in Stargate were foggy and foresty. It's because it's Canada. And why they why they always seem to go to the same quarry. Every planet looks like a quarry on Earth. That's like asking why Star Trek, like, half the planets look like Vasquez rocks outside L.A. I don't know, it just seemed like, come on, don't use fog. And the, the fog machines were working over those, so they were throughout the entire thing. I was like, well, but it, it also adds a cool effect, because you get all the light streaks and stuff. If you're trying to... It's helpful if you're trying to suggest darkness when the fact is that you're pumping in tons of light it's kind of helpful to sort of give it a mysterious thing that 
feels otherworldly. I did like that they they killed off everyone, all the adults with frightening speed. Yeah, I kind of appreciated that. No hesitation on that. I mean, she was dead with a super down by a super combine in less than two minutes into Ford Unto Dawn episode four, and then they didn't even bother showing the death of uh, the um, general. He just kind of stumbled across him. I like that a lot. I love the way he pulls his pulls General Black's body out of the warthog. He's just like, oh, well, you're dead. It's my turn to try and stay alive. There's just so many little things I thought they got right, little touches here and there. Like on the on the bunks, the little bunks and the, the actual the, the, the stations where the cadets were staying in. That looked the business. I mean, that's the sort of thing you expect to see on a movie set. And then they had the, the, the stone carving of the, uh, of, the, of the Academy Creed or whatever it was. Little things like that really were pretty damn awesome from a visual standpoint. And then, then we had fog adventures. But I actually liked the CGI with the uh, with the weapons fire. Generally speaking, I thought that was very well done. You seen the uh, the Nielder shots piercing the air and the plasma bolts whizzing past. I thought that was pretty well freaking done. Surprisingly. <laughs> I actually really liked the effect for the fuel rod gun too. The way like you you can actually see that there's a purpose to those claws on the hunter's uh, gun arm. That it actually shapes and forms the plasma before it shoots it out. Mm-hmm. I thought the the hunter, whenever they finally did show the non-cardboard silhouette, even though it looked like a very cheap CGI thing, I thought it looked awesome. I thought the they, they nailed the whole hunter appearance down. Maybe they could have spent a few more, a few more thousand million quid or so, just making it look, you know, slightly more realistic and less plasticky. But I thought like the appearance of the worms was particularly well done. Yeah, I was just happy that we finally saw an individual worm too. <laughs> yeah, that was that was nice. It was a nice touch. Yeah, exactly. The, 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 I don't know. There were so many elements that they they got right. This is cohesively. I I I wasn't really that happy overall how it how it sort of came across. Like I said, it. it it blew away my expectations, where I had no expectations for it at all, you know? So I'm, I was pleasantly surprised. It was, I actually look forward to watching it each week, which is not something I expected either. I specifically look forward to showing it to people who aren't familiar with the Halo universe to see what they think of it. I'm not sure, I don't know, what they would get out of it. It doesn't really work as a, oh, here's normal way of life, and oh god, alien invasion, and here's the Master Chief to save the day. I don't, I, but I think it does give a like you watch that and you get a general sense of okay, there's aliens, there's scare, there's they're scary aliens. They've got advanced technology. They're Spartans. They're these super soldiers. They've got some sort of weird social thing going on. And then there's the regular people. You know what's really funny? I would actually pay to watch more of the intro. See the intro to each episode. That was my favorite part. With the whole Cortana stuff and the chief and the and the and the actual Ford on the dawn sitting there in space and the well, I think uh, come tomorrow night at the time of us recording this, come tomorrow night, you will be paying for more of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. but that that alone was fucking awesome. I loved the the visuals and, and those particular sequences were were spectacular. Oh well, that just reminds me before I forget that going back to Isaac's conspiracy theory. 
Cortana touches a button to wake up the chief. Although the button's on a hologram too, isn't it? Yeah, which, but but the question of why Cortana would even need to touch a holographic button. Why why she would go to the lengths to portray herself. Touching a button, something yeah. Like yeah. I thought it was an interesting, I mean, I, I think it was mostly just to, so people kind of brain dead might understand that, oh, they're waking up the chief, but it was still an interesting touch. Yeah, they seem to be doing a lot of stuff like that for the, the, the brain dead, as you put it. Well, not the brain dead, but just spelling certain things out a bit more explicitly. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I think they should always be mindful of people who aren't familiar with Halo, because ultimately the people that will watch this will not be as engaged as we are in the entire franchise and, and the entire fiction, so they won't be expected to know the things that we do to our, to our level. So if they if they have to include little holographic buttons, I'm I I I wouldn't have a complaint on that basis alone. <clears throat> Even if it does go against established fiction, that's that's one thing. I'm I'm not too hardcore when it comes to that area. I, I understand the need to be inclusive of a of of a expanding and sometimes newer audience like that. I really just like the narration during those Cortana sequences, having Cortana speaking to the internal Halsey, more or less. That's your theory. I don't know. It's because... It's not confirmed. The, the voice doesn't... <laughs> the voice isn't saying, like, what am I doing? I need to stop thinking these things. The voice says, Cortana, stop it. So... If you're going crazy, no one's going to, like, judge your style. <laughs> I'm just saying, that's how... Yes, that's how I interpreted it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I don't trust Isaac's Cortana theories, to be honest. Hang on, hang on, cut the podcast here. You can't say <laughs> that. You can't say that because you know what happens in Halo 4. You don't, you don't get to put in speculation because you know what happens. By looking at the spoilers, you, your, your speculation is void. <laughs> Let the game shoot me down. I don't need to be shot down twice. But I wasn't. I wasn't even <laughs> thinking about the spoilers. I was just, just generally poking fun at your Cortana theories because of your past Cortana theories that I don't remember. Shut up. So going back a little bit before the hunter scene, uh, we had uh, spoiler alert: the the death of of Kyler, and uh, they've been handling death in this. Uh, in this series in a rather interesting way and by not really focusing on it and highlighting it. Um, and then, of course, for the primary, I guess, quote-unquote love interest, uh, she got significantly more attention. And I was rather surprised to find that I thought her death scene was effective. Um, when I watched it with my, my film student buddy, he was kind of laughing the whole way through the death scene. and It ruined it when I was watching it that time. But... The first time I watched it, I got pretty emotional. I thought it was acted very well. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think it was acted well. I mean, there's no escaping that the hero's squeeze dying is a pretty big cliche. But on the other hand, I mean, it's just one. It's kind of a binary decision that you are going to kind of deal with no matter what. I'm, I'm kind of happy they left the smartass alive instead. I think, yeah, it definitely was handled well. There's going to be lots of giffing of the his Lasky's no, no, no 
shaking head crying thing, but I think it was it was good to see him that vulnerable. He spends a lot of the time doing this sort of stoic, I'm tough, yeah, I'm sensitive, but I'm also tough kind of thing, and it was good to punch through that. And then they didn't go too over the top, you know, he wasn't like screaming like you see in a lot of other movies. So why didn't the needle explode? Because it wasn't a super combine. Why didn't why didn't the one in Sully's foot explode? Huh? I don't know that you might call that a redcon. I think it's just a matter of a inconsistent why the, technology or something like that. Why it didn't explode? Because he only got hit by one. <laughs> well, in the fall of in in the books, you know, before now, it's you get hit by one needle and that needle explodes. I think the needle rifle well, they, is the they, only thing that's they changed don't that explode. Recently. They don't super combine. They they shatter though they don't really explode necessarily a lot of the issues i had with the final episode it was not my favorite part of it it's kind of funny that i liked a lot more of the i guess corpulo high 90210 stuff that was going on beforehand because it wasn't as i guess expected for this kind of thing and then i lost some of that when they got to the action but i really liked the final scene with him is you've got her dog tags and the piece of the hunter that he's kept and you can see that he's still allergic to the cryo and he's just going about it really matter of fact i think that tells you all you need to know about lasky going into halo 4 yeah i'm excited to see i'm excited to see him show up because i i hope that he still has that hunter and her dog tags the piece one of armor. thing yeah. nice only thing by the way about cryo by clothes cryo <laughs> Yes. All right, all right. No, I brought this wrong. up before. I've brought this up before. It could be a special kind of suit that like makes cryo easier for those who have certain reactions to it. Yeah. Or or for training because they all had them in the beginning. Or also just for Yeah, I was thinking the training could just be Schadenfreude that they weren't in there long enough to really freeze or burn them much. It was or it was just to mess with them. But the other thing that could be considered is that now that this takes place in 2557 or whatever cryotech might have finally advanced to the point where they don't need to be naked all the time the retcon so we can't show boobies we can't show we can't show stuff oh, okay well okay well clothes on obviously you have to keep it down for for that reason because you you want other people you want a, a wide audience to be able to watch this and enjoy it and, yeah because and, white audiences are completely turned off by by that that's a, it's a concession yeah. it's a decent concession from european american yeah thing. i was just gonna say from from two americans to a european guy it's a bigger deal and it shouldn't be but it is and that your society has problems that's reflected in that <laughs> silly decision uh that's why it was done like there's no well i i, I did think it was kind of weird that they they didn't do it for him just because like most of the other times it has been like, yeah, I'm not sure people would have wanted to see Cutter walking around nude. Maybe they would have liked Anders, but that would have been kind of weird. But here, it was just Lasky, so I was surprised that they didn't have him shirtless. And to be fair, look, to even get I around the whole nudity thing, more deliberate just, than just, in case you're thinking I'm a pervert here, you could have easily have done the whole no clothing thing with selective editing and cuts and, and camera angles. Bits. Yeah, you could have easily At done in that. This instance. You know what I'm saying? It was just a lazy thing. 
Yeah, but I don't think it was lazy. That's what I'm saying. Like that because it was so easy since it was a guy to do it, that they were trying to push something beyond that. It wasn't laziness on their part. I just think the suits look like they're something that would be specifically designed for cryosleep. Yeah, they do all look all silvery and, and interesting. I don't know, but that that start, still struck me as a really... That was definitely the high point of the entire episode for me, just closing out Lasky's story. Yeah. What did you guys think of... Uh, right before he goes into cryo, there's a, a voice that comes up, and some people are, are thinking that it's the AI on the Infinity, which is at that point probably Black Box, and I have to admit, it sounded a lot like black box as as i heard him when i was reading the books but obviously we don't have enough to go off of but what did you guys think about that well someone in the i'm not sure if it was uh tar or not uh, but in the fud forums thought it would be kind of weird that black box wouldn't be with um osman since by that point it doesn't seem like it's a big spoiler that by the events of Halo 4, she's in charge of Oni. And then the other issue is how long Black Box's lifespan is, since he should be fairly close to the end of his operational lifespan by that point, too. Assuming that he's fairly close to Cortana's age. There's, there's reference that he's slightly more advanced and Halsey doesn't know about it him but within definitely a year i imagine since he's already fully functional by early 2553 yeah i think there's a lot of factors that that could uh point one way or the other but i personally would be very happy if black box showed up in campaign for halo 4 well i still think they missed a big opportunity with having black box be jeff steitzer so jeff steitzer should be a character in Spartan Ops somewhere. I don't care. If it doesn't happen in future installments, I'm going to be kind of upset. You push so hard for making it canonical, you're going to make everything canonical. Jeff Slicer is just like the crazy janitor on the Infinity. He's just mumbling <laughs> to himself the entire time. Flag taken. Protect your flag. Like, what's that guy going on about? That would be really funny. Weirder things have happened. We've seen the space mop. Can't believe they actually have painted space mop and everything. Oh, good. <laughs> because mops in space are different. But yeah, someone went out of their way during the production filming of that show to say, we need to have a space mop and it has to be painted differently than normal mops because otherwise it won't look like a futuristic space mop. Someone had that thought. And someone was actually paid to turn a mop into a space mop. No, that could no, that could be unpaid production assistant or assistant producer. Never, so space never mops made. made by unpaid slave laborer. That's <laughs> even better. Okay. Daddy. Did we want to talk at all about the appearance of the Spartans? Talk about the non-appearance of the Pelican that picks them up. <laughs> hey, look! It's the air. The air. Let's go towards over there. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. We're not in the Pelican. They? Oh, you're right. They didn't show it. He didn't bother at all. I didn't even, even notice showing that. Showing a shadow of it. I didn't even notice that, though. So I think that's... How did you not notice? It cut right to the overhead shot where you see the CG Pelican, and it it looked... It's. It, I guess it was just always just off screen, and it 
They, they weren't he... even bothered to show a shadow on the ground. I think it At was all. fine. That's a pretty small complaint. <laughs> no, it's not. Huge complaint. Pelicans are massive. I'm surprised you're not complaining about the fact that they used the Halo 4 Pelican. 4, yeah. That's what they say. I, yeah. But once again, that's just reusing existing assets as opposed yeah. to... And I think it also can show that, you know, it's just another model of Pelican. Like, it doesn't have to be a big deal. Yes, it does. We are Halo fans. It's always a big deal. You know, little canon inconsistencies are probably going to get to a point where either you care about them or you don't. You're going to do something about them if you do care about them because they're not ever going to go away. I was thinking about that while I was raking leaves this today, just because they've had the whole um, Disney bought up Lucasfilm thing, and I was thinking about just if there's going to be some point where they just retcon everything, just do a clean sweep of, okay, this is this, we're changing all the books to this. It would be nice if they kept the originals, like, just so you can see, this is how it was, but just for everyone's You're talking about sake. for Halo? Yeah. Well, just they've in terms more or of... less, they haven't stated outright, but they've more or less retconned the smaller details of the Fall of Reach. But I don't think they've really touched much in the other books. Yeah, I mean, a fair amount, and that's partly why I like Halo, that, of all things considered, it's pretty... They have retconned the visual identity of the Spartan armor to Helen back. If you really think about it, of all the things that you could retcon... The Fall of Reach uh, is what I'm most happy to have altered because it is the oldest. Like, really, they didn't encounter elites until the last year of the war. Okay. Yeah. Like and, that, that makes well, so much sense. And hunters sense. before the last year of the war. Yeah. And prophets, no prophets whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much in that book that it, it's been said so many times, but I, it's worth repeating is that so much of that book only makes sense in the context of the first game. And anywhere, anywhere beyond that, and it just really doesn't fit. And I think it's a good thing that they're changing. I don't like the fact that they changed the Spartans' armor, but, you know, you, you, certain things are going to be retconned for the sake of presentability. So I just mm -hmm. accept that. We move on, yes. But anyway, aside from the fact that there is no pelican, as Danny has helpfully pointed out, um... <laughs> We do get two Spartans, though, that are, for a long time, fans of the series, I think was a welcome sight. What was up with their appearance? Whatever way they treated it in post-production, they looked weird. But isn't that the point? Aren't they supposed to look weird because they're Spartans? They don't look quite human? It sort of like something that could fall out of Star Wars' is prequels Wait, you mean their their contacts or whatever it's just their whole visage like lucy just looked like some kind of weird cloning alien from star wars episode three or something it was just what and someone showed me a picture of behind the scenes and uh, the two actors uh the play two spartans were just you know stand side beside each other and um they looked like that so that that, that, that wasn't cgi but Whenever you see it, as it's presented on the show, they, they, the faces just look fake somehow. But I think that's well, exactly what they yeah, were trying to do. Yeah, I think that's exactly do. what they were going for. 
is really? that they, because they, I think they pretty much nailed. To me, the, at first, I thought that the contacts were a little over the top. On the other hand, they go through all this ocular augmentation. It seems weird that there's no visual identifying not to mention, element to that. Not to mention in the uh, Birth of a Spartan trailer, we see that his eyes turn well. blue. So yeah. I think it's a good continuity between those two. Yeah, and then the other thing is that they, they, I think they, they. You're right. They definitely the actors do look, I guess, unconventional. Um, but that they also, I think, fit the part of the fact that they look really young, but they also look really old at the same time, and they don't look like normal people you just picked up off the street. I think that was really important. The whole that how old are you that's classified thing was kind of a little too on the nose for me, but I do think they nailed their appearance pretty well in that respect. Yeah, they, they looked and acted like Spartans would in that situation as far as I would picture it. I, I would have gone a little paler personally, but that's that's it. Like overall it it more or less nailed it. it nailed the feeling. Not maybe not the exact look, but the feeling that Spartans should have in that scenario. It felt very CGI. That's weird because it's one of the scenes where it's not CGI. It's just whatever the, the treatment, the visuals are a treatment they, they apply to them. It's just Danny complains about bad CGI, including the real stuff. <laughs> One wee thing here uh, when I want to ask about this is that um, the the series Four on the Dawn goes more towards the serious tone of Halo, and that's something I've noticed with Halo. Halo Four seems to be going that direction. One thing that Halo's had in the past, particularly the games, and not much so the the TV spots and, and the books, they've had this little little off shoot of humor and that seems to be absent from what we've seen from Halo 4 so far and it's definitely absent from from 4 on the dawn what do you guys think about that? I, I think that's exactly why they need to follow up on Sully's character <laughs> <laughs> like seriously I, I, I thought he was really dumb and cheesy in the beginning and then like as the episode went on I really came to like him quite a bit yeah yeah, like, yeah, they, they, they could, they, I don't know, I don't know, it's just, it'd be weird, I don't think there's much room in it for the Covenant, or any humor in that side of things, so I, I think we need it, Sully in that kind of way. Yeah, and I, I definitely, that's one of the appealing parts of the Halo universe for me, is that you do have, occasionally... I mean, it's. I think actually most of the my favorite lines from Marines are all down to one guy in Halo and Halo Two, definitely. Like the "I'm a cowardly fool, dude," and like at one point they talk about searching for Starbucks on the surface of Halo, and oh, there's twelve of them. There's a lot of if you ever go through the uh, Halo.bungie.org dialogue um, library, there's a bunch of gems in there, and I hope that they do keep some of those, even if they're really infrequent and you might miss them a lot. I think that's part of the spice that I like about Halo. Yeah, see, I'm probably the only one who just enjoys Halo going darker overall. Halo isn't dark, but that's the thing. Halo has big, bright purple space guns. and I meant, you know what I meant, not visually dark. No, but I'm talking about the entire tone overall. Don't don't think I'm, I'm using one or two examples here to paint the whole thing. I'm talking about overall. It's a game that's it's rated M. And yet you don't really get much swearing. You don't get much gore. 
You know, even in the books, the flood aren't the flood aren't gory. Oh come on, they're they're not. They're they're. I mean, compared to something like horror, Dead like, Space, like the guy, the Geiger would be laughing off if he said that was scary. Damn, come on, you know what I mean? That's. I don't think Geiger is a particularly good benchmark for normal people's concept <laughs> of what's scary, though. Also, I think it's pronounced Geiger. But that's oh, shut up. besides the point. As opposed to Geiger counter? Or is it Geeker counter too? <laughs> I, 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 come, I don't know. I come from a different part of the world. Maybe why I can just say it's a regional thing, so shut up. <laughs> yeah, so anything else or we want to wrap this up? Alright, so I think that about wraps it up. Uh, if you have any thoughts or feedback on what we've been discussing, uh, feel free to check out our forums and post your thoughts and comments there. We're happy to join in on any discussion you want to have. If you're listening to this on our website, feel free to leave comments in the comments section below. Uh, if you found us on iTunes, uh, feel free to subscribe or give a rating. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube at Forward Dawn, and you can also find us on Twitter under the same handle. All right, thanks for listening. We'll see you online.